Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, brought to you by the commercial legal practice Aspect Legal. Now today we have along our guest Martin Lucerto, who is the director and co-founder of Amplify Business Strategy, an organization that works in preparing businesses for sale, but also in assisting franchisors and franchisees in buying and selling businesses. So today we are talking to Martin about the specific issue of ideas for selling a niche business. And today Martin talks to us about the history that he had that brought him to where he is today and the two businesses that he bought and sold in fairly niche business areas, the sorts of considerations that were relevant for him in buying and selling both of these businesses and in particular what he learnt along the way. So if you work with businesses who are in a fairly niche industry or if in fact you're in a business that is in a niche industry yourself and you're thinking of buying or selling in the future, then this episode is relevant to you. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Well, Martin, thank you so much for coming in. I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into a couple of things here today. Um, as I talked about in the introduction, you have an interesting background, both as an owner who's built businesses and then in franchising, the franchising side and assisting businesses in the preparing for sale and the sale process. But today, what I'd really like to talk about in our first part is maybe your history as a business owner and as growing businesses and then building for the eventual sale because I I think it's always really useful for people who are advisors in the space and also for businesses who are building to sell or businesses that are looking to buy to understand the human side behind the clients that they're working with or, or the types of experiences of people who have bought and sold businesses. And I actually just want to say an interesting thing that we discovered in talking earlier before this podcast is that we both have a historical connection to um, the very small south coast town of Jeroa, which I think is fabulous. Like it's such a small world. What's the population of Jeroa? About two or three <laughs> hundred? Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, slightly under that. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. And it's, um, yeah, I'll be uh, more than happy to share my, my uh, past. But yeah, Jeroa, I think the population was around 560. Right, People okay. 64, I think the last time I, I drove past that sign, it might have had 564, but I think it swells up to uh, more than about three, 4,000 in the uh, uh, summer holiday in period. In summer, yeah. Oh, look, and it's a spectacular part of the world, and, and I spent many childhood days there. We had a, um, a family... My grandparents had a family fund in a uh, house in Jeroa. So we spent our childhood there near, um, near what your business was in Jeroa. So I guess that sort of brings us full circle. Maybe tell us, Martin, a little bit about your background in owning and growing businesses, one of which was the fabulous business in Little Jeroa. Little downtown Jeroa. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I suppose my, my first experience with business, uh, and, and I've been quite experienced in family businesses. So my first experience was actually in the meat industry, owning a uh, 
uh, a family-owned retail and wholesale uh, um, uh, butcher shop and, and, and meat business. So that was uh, uh, very interesting, I suppose. That's what, how I learned of what to do in small business, mm. to all, all the mistakes and, and successes that I achieved. It, mm. was, it was a lot of good fun. And dealing with customers, dealing with staff, it was uh, uh, quite a while ago now. I think it was about 97. Right. I exited that business. Yeah, and then moved on to another business in, in Jarrah, as, as, as we mentioned. Right. Okay. Well, look, let's start with the meat business then. So how long did you have yep. this meat business? It was just under 10 years. So 10 years? Nine years. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, just, uh-huh. yeah, just under nine years. And it, it, was, it was a business that grew from a, a one-person uh, business to have about six people uh, full-time. Mm-hmm. in the business and, and a couple of casuals as well and, and grew to a, a substantial uh, turnover and it was, it was a very profitable business. Mm. Uh, but uh, at the time when the decision was made to exit the business, we virtually outgrew it and, and looking for uh, the next stage of our, our, our business career, it, it really was difficult to find a successful way to exit. That's when we sort of started scratching our head and... and uh, what were the issues that you faced? So I, I guess you get to an emotional point where you say, well, you know, we want to be doing something different. We're, we're, we're done with the day-to-day of what we've been doing every day for the past decade. What issues came up for you in working out exit at that point? One of the, one of the major and the, the major critical trigger for us was not actually having control of the premises. So it was a property that we leased. Uh, and I, I, it's an interesting thing. I see a similar theme for business people today and every day uh, that having control of the lease or having a, uh, a long-term plan with the lease is critical. So we were at the stage yeah. where our business was thriving. Uh, we had a, a bit of a, a letter, a tap on the shoulder to say, hey, we're not going to um, uh, look at renewing beyond oh, wow. this particular date. Right. And we're looking to redevelop the property. Uh-huh. So they did at the time sort of suggest, look, these are the alternatives for you. However, they weren't alternatives that we were immensely happy with. We were actually looking at growing and getting a bigger premises, uh, and that wasn't uh, on offer at all. In fact, there's probably going to be a reduction of size in square metres in the premises that we had right. if they were to re- relocate us to a newly developed shop, if you want to call it. So... That was a major trigger. And then from there, the thoughts and discussions around, okay, what do we want to do next? You know, what, what's the next chapter of our business life? So um, when, once we sort of brainstormed the uh, – and again, I was in, in a family business with a couple of other family members. Once we are in a, in, a, in a room brainstorming what we're going to do next, and this is maybe just uh, making it very simple here, it was probably a series of discussions over a few months. Mm, mm. Uh, that we thought, well, maybe the best thing is to just exit this business and start again somewhere else. Mm. And that's what we did. We, we, we put the business up for sale. Um, and when we put up for sale, it was interesting because we, we looked at, at the time, local brokers, business brokers, and they just didn't seem to have the relevant experience in, in selling uh, a meat business, a butcher shop, a food type mm. business that was in, uh, in our space. Nor did we feel confident if we put it out in the marketplace that there was an abundance of buyers. Now, mm. the context to this was, at the time, 
into the late 90s, there was quite a few butcher shops that were closing down, a little bit of negativity around the, around the industry because of the major supermarkets that were actually growing their presence mm-hmm. and grow, growing their, their sales in meat promotions. They were just, you know, if you were to name one of the larger supermarkets that used to just buy in their packaged meat, now they started having their own um, processing in their stores, mm-hmm. their own butchers mm-hmm. in their stores. So there's, it's quite a competitive space. Although our business wasn't affected by the, the major retailers, um, major supermarkets, the industry was. So that was the context. And so we thought, well, it's going to be really difficult to get a sale price that would reflect what we thought was a valuable business. Mm. So the best way that we thought, um, that, that I thought we could achieve this was actually position the business to key staff members. So to have uh, one of the managers buy the business. Right. And that's what happened. And that's what right. we did. We, we presented it to them and that's how we sold the business. So effectively, it was a management buyout, I guess. <laughs> effectively, you know, in a different context, I would have preferred to put it in the mar- on the marketplace, yeah, uh, to to achieve a higher sale. But I just wasn't confident that there was a, a, a broker on at the day that would be able to represent us, represent uh, us in that industry. Things have changed, you know, in, the, in brokers in general. You do find it's more of a developed and evolved. Industry, so different brokers have different levels of experience in different industries. Um, so, but yeah, at the time that was our our exit, and mm. that was a successful exit. This is really interesting because I think many business owners are faced with this issue when it comes time to sell, particularly if they've got a niche type of business about really working out who is my buyer, how do I find that buyer, how do I find the person that really wants the type of business that I've got, as I said, specifically if it's a niche type of business, which obviously a meat supply business must be. As we were discussing a bit before recording the podcast, you made an interesting comment that this is the example of a type of business that that's it doesn't have a broad market in terms of possible buyers out there. Yeah, definitely. If I could use the words I used back then, it wasn't a real sexy business to, yeah. to be involved with that. Everyone wanted to jump in and buy. Interesting, though, Jonah, that experience has stayed with me because it's one of the reasons and motivations of doing what I currently do now. Uh, at the time, uh, really, the business brokers, uh, whether it's you know one or two or three, in the area, really only sold cafes mm. or takeaways. That was really it. Mm. And our business didn't fall into this category. And hence, and, and without uh, talking too much about my current role, but uh, it, it enabled me to understand more about business, be trained in uh, business administration and, and uh, uh, have various experiences that I can actually bring to the table for business sellers today that weren't available to me back in the late 90s. Yeah, right. And so so what were you let's get dig specifically into that a little bit more then. What what were the specific learnings that you um, were the beneficiary of out of this experience with your meat business? And what are the sorts of things that you could pass on to our audience or parts of our audience who might have niche businesses who are, or who are advisors for niche businesses about what to do with their business if they want to sell it at some stage? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a very good good question because this is what drives me today. So every business has a some sort of value, okay? Uh, whether it's, you know, I always uh, use a silly term like it's on shorts worth somewhere between zero and a trillion dollars. We just got to find where that is and where what people would be happy to pay and, and what's transferable, et cetera, all those important aspects of transferring a business from one ownership to the other. And that was the, the lasting lesson for me was to say, okay, how how would I do this differently? How would I would I encounter that same problem today? And I think that's why it's important to get hold of uh, a person that represents you, a business agent that understands values of business, what's transferable. And I understand that I've, I've had you know, I've completed other formal training uh, since then that has made me more aware of business values and what businesses sell for and what's transferable and understanding balance sheets and profit and loss statements, all that, all that sort of stuff. So getting hold of somebody that understands your business, understands the value of it, what's transferable is really important. Mm. And hence why we don't, in our business today, we would not take on a business if we don't see their financial statements, if we don't understand the assets that are transferable in that business, we won't take them on because we we want to make sure we present a business professionally. Now, the other important aspect is who to target because at the time, I just didn't know who would want to buy my business. I, I really I was struggling to think, who would want to buy this? So having the experience and, and the confidence really because I was you know in my like mid-20s at the time, so I probably didn't have the confidence to do it. So I think about having uh, someone to represent you, an agent that has experience, actually write a bit of a hit list mm. to say, okay, who are the likely buyers? I need to reach them. And it's not just about having a listing and putting it in the newspaper, having, I know that that's what happened in the day, and it still somewhat happens today, but it's not just having a listing on a business directory site on the internet and hopefully three people applying, seven people applying, it hopefully gets um uh, a bite or, or a candidate that puts in the inquiry. It's more about being proactive. And yep, there's the passive advertising and marketing that will do put the business on some major business listing sites. However, creating a hit list, actual, actually thinking about who are the likely buyers of my business? I need to reach them. Now, whether we use social media or whether we actually just pick up the phone and contact them and just be direct about it. Say, hey, have you thought about growing your business via an acquisition? Because this business here might be one you want to consider. It's a bit old-fashioned, but still works. It's a matter of making that hit list and reaching out to them. Now, whether that buyer is in your town, away from your town, like in another major capital city or interstate, we just got to reach. And them. so, and that's sort of. That's motivated. As a practical application of what you're talking about then here, if you were talking now to your younger self who is selling the meat business, what tips or suggestions would you give your younger self about how to compile that hit list? Yeah, good question. It's a matter of um, just really taking time out to think about who, who, who the type of person is would buy this. So whether it's Another, you know, let's say the butcher shop is an example, another butcher in your local area who's making some inroads in the industry who wants to expand. It's a matter of just making contact with them. Mm. So, uh, then it might be another type of business where it might be a, a an owner that has a, a chain of shops around the area 
or interstate that would like to increase or, or have a footprint in your local area, make contact with mm. them, email, telephone, whatever it would be. So I would actually say to my younger self, you know what, just take a few minutes out here, just write this list because I didn't do that at the mm. time. I just thought, oh, what's my easiest path, yeah. that path of least resistance that we, as humans we, mm. uh, we get so tempted to yeah. take. Uh, and rather than take the path of least resistance is actually just being a bit more thoughtful about the type of person who would buy it and be confident enough, and as a, probably a 25-year-old it probably wouldn't have been, to contact uh, you know, the CEO of a, of a chain of, 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 of meat stores and to just make direct contact with yeah, them. Yeah, okay. So that's what I would advise. Make, take the time, uh, construct a hit list and make contact with them in a timely manner. Yeah, okay. And, of course, your eventual buyers who were the staff could be part of that list as well. But I I guess what you're saying here is about going through a brainstorming process so that you can build some sort of potential competitive tension if you've got a number of possible buyers rather than pinning all of your hopes on the one horse, as it were. (laughs) Um, Essentially what we say is is creating a marketing strategy. Having a strategy yeah. rather than that path of least resistance, that's absolutely right. Um, that's critical. And the other uh, uh, thing I would say to you yourself is, you know what, maybe don't just talk to uh, one broker. Mm. Maybe talk to a few. Just get the person that you feel is going to represent you and understand your needs more confidently. Because mm. 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 sometimes, you know, you don't have, not all the business owners have time to be able to actually do that or feel that they've got time to do that. So, so as a business agent, that's what people outsource us to do yeah. for them. Yeah. And so uh, I, I guess, you know, a great question for people who are here um, looking to sell their business and trying to think about the sorts of questions that they can use in speaking to brokers to or, or other advisors is, you, you know, in what way can they help them brainstorm or strategize potential pools of buyers that will be relevant for their business? Yeah. So I think the first point is just to probably uh, make a, a time to meet with the broker and different brokers have different experiences uh, and depending on what industry that you're that you're in versus uh, or, or pitted against what experience the broker has as well, their contacts uh, in your local area. More importantly is to get on the same page as the broker, as your agent, understanding that what you think the business may be worth is very similar to what the broker may, may think mm. it's worth uh, in, in getting an appraisal for the business. That would be definitely um, the first quarter call that I'll be doing. Understanding what someone else thinks the business is worth is really important because we all have our own sense of what we think our assets are worth versus what a buyer thinks they might be worth. So a competent broker will actually think about, okay, what would a buyer somewhat value this business or what would they be prepared to pay for it? And I think as an owner, you need to know that. You need to get some sort of indication of what the market would be happy to pay for your business. Because you might even decide that, you know what, it may not be worth something. maybe worth just keeping or maybe worth transferring to another family mm. rather than selling in the open market if you don't believe it's going to be valued as highly as what you think. And it, look, it's really interesting because almost every guest that I have in this podcast who is an advisor to business in some way, you know, whether it's a, an exit advisor or a, an accountant or a broker, 
will always make this point as part of the conversation that, that there's a real disconnect between what sellers believe the business is worth and what the market will pay for the business. <laughs> so, you know, this is clearly, Absolutely. clearly a massive issue. But I think the relevant point out of all of this is not so much just for businesses to lower their standards, but also to think mm. like a buyer and to think about how, if they have a particular dollar figure in their mind, how it is that they can convince a buyer that their business is worth that. And that might mean making changes to the business in time before the sale process in order for it to turn into a business that a buyer also believes is worth the amount that the seller believes. Let's take a short break. When we get back, Martin talks to us about his experience in purchasing, growing, and then eventually selling his second business, a beautiful holiday park in the small coastal town of Jeroa. And that's next. You're listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, brought to you by Aspect Legal. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. If you're interested in hearing smart legal tips for business, the Deal Room sister podcast, Talking Law, is perfect for you. These two podcasts are now among the top legal podcasts in Australia. In our Talking Law podcast, I dissect a different topic each week that I have seen impact businesses, and I then provide actionable tips for you to avoid that risk or to use that legal area to your advantage. We release new episodes every 10 days. And you can listen to our episodes through www.talkinglaw.com.au or subscribe to our Talking Law podcast on iTunes to be the first to know when a new episode is out. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Earlier, we talked about Martin's background, how he started as a business owner in the meat industry, growing a family-owned butcher shop in Jeroa. Then we drew some valuable insights from the challenges he experienced in selling this niche business. Now, let's jump back to our conversation with Martin and talked about how he transitioned over to the holiday park industry. We'll drill into the lessons he's learned from his experience in growing, building, and eventually selling that business. And how different was this sale compared to the first one? (music) 
Now, let's change gear a bit, perhaps, and talk about yep. your second experience with building and selling a business then. And where did you go after this meat business? You sold it to the employees. And then what next? Yep. Uh, so the next uh, chapter of, our, uh, of my business career was uh, taking on a caravan park, a holiday mm. park, a mixture of camping, caravans, cabins down at Jaroa. This is where it brings us to our Jaroa uh, <laughs> chapter. That was a lot of fun. And, and, and interesting, one of the other things I learned when exiting um, the, uh, the butcher shop experience and not having control of the lease and the premises was looking at businesses that I would have control of my, I suppose, my longer-term goals and plans. And the caravan park was a perfect fit. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it took on a, a park in Jaroa. It was, it would be fair to say it wasn't a park in that was, you know, managed fantastically. It was a little run down, I think it would be fair to say, mm. um, when I took it over. And I thought that was... For someone not being in the industry, that was uh, important. That I thought, well, I think I can improve this business. I can improve it. And so we took that on. And it's interesting because I would say that's probably not a traditional path into a holiday park having coming from a uh, career in dealing with meat. <laughs> or, yeah, what, yeah. you know, who are the people that end up in um, a holiday park? Who are the, who, who are the pool of buyers here? Yeah, I, I don't really know who, how you traditionally get brought up in a holiday yeah. park. Or I often, when I was in the park business, I often would have guests coming in and say, oh, I'd love to do this, just sit on the mower, it'd be great. Mm-hmm. It's everything but that. It's everything but sitting on a mower. It is a great business and it is a great job, uh, but it's not as easy as sitting on a ride on a lawnmower. But it has that perception mm-hmm. that sitting on a mower would be great so anyone could do it. Look, I think the person that comes into a, a park business or, or a tourism business is uh, essentially happy to deal with people. That's it, it, got to be part of your makeup that you enjoy dealing with people. You like interacting. For good or for bad, you're there to help people. You have a high service orientation. So whatever previous background that you had, I think they're the essential uh, characteristics of successful park managers or owners that they can uh, have a high service orientation so yeah it's it's interesting in the park business i I did meet a lot of park owners and they had uh, various backgrounds from corporate background to other small business owner background to um, building background construction where they thought you know it was was a uh, and i can assure you i sort of Running the caravan park, I wish I wasn't at Christmas <laughs> because it, a lot, a lot, a lot of your expenses are poured into electricians and plumbers, uh, so that would have been uh, would have been handy rather than uh, being a butcher. But still, what was transferable was as that service orientation and those skills, customer service, um, I suppose a, a work ethic. Uh, to yeah, to be on your feet for quite a number of hours that helped. Mm, mm. <laughs> uh, so that that was important. Yeah, but definitely transferable skills, high customer service. And so, when when you bought this business, obviously as we've spoken about, you you had come off the back of having built and sold a business prior to it. So when you bought this business, were you thinking about exit right from the beginning? And by that I mean, were you looking at the business and building it for a potential sale in the future? Is that something that you took from the previous business, or was this about lifestyle at this point? Well, it was more about the future rather than the lifestyle because we definitely took it on as a business and not so much the fantasy of 
sitting on right on lawn mowers. Mm. <laughs> uh, it was definitely a business that we thought we could develop further, uh, as well as enjoy the tasks as well, enjoy dealing with people and enjoy sitting on, on, on right on lawn mowers occasionally. Mm. But um, uh, we, we took it on as uh, uh, well, more for the future to say, okay, we, we actually had uh, control of the land as well, had uh, bought freehold, which means that we really had time to decide what we wanted to do in the future with it if we wanted to change our position, whether we want to sell or not sell. Mm-hmm. So we always had that in mind that by, by taking that on with its freehold, we were able to even defer that decision mm-hmm. down the track or plan that decision as we were moving through our, um, our, I suppose, our life cycle of owning that business. And interestingly enough, you know, 10 years later, the business sold, uh, but it wasn't even on the market. Mm. So that was a, an interesting thing. I was actually looking to buy another park. So that's how this whole um, sale of this, this particular business came right. about. I was in contact with other brokers inquiring about other parks. So running our park for about nine years, I must have this nine-year It cycle. sounds like, I was going to say, there does sound to be a yeah. pattern here. <laughs> <laughs> so I started inquiring for about 12 to 18 months about other potential parts that we could acquire to run two parts to, to continually develop myself, I suppose, as a business owner and, and develop my career. And as I was investigating other parks, one of the um, uh, business brokers that I was in contact with it suggested that I consider selling ours. And I thought, no chance, it's not for sale, we've got this thing forever. But as it happens, long story short, uh, there was a particular buyer that was really keen on, on this particular business. And so it really ended up coming to a number where it made it worthwhile. Yeah. Wow. So that's an interesting an interesting approach there and maybe also the difference between an emotional position of wanting to sell but not having a clear idea of who the pool of buyers are so you're stuck, you know, with a smaller pool versus in this instance yeah. being a bit more savvy and looking to be a buyer yourself but then not being so emotionally connected with the sale, so therefore you were able to drive a um, a better deal because you weren't at the um, mercy of a small pool of buyers. Yeah, well, I think you're right. You're spot on because I was in contact with numerous brokers about buying other, other tourism parts and that enabled me to have a really good understanding of values. Mm. Of what they were selling for, what you know, the dynamics, what are the triggers, you know, the, the certain um, important elements of, of a park. It might be the number of sites, it might be the uh, amount of land that it has, the upside development opportunity, uh, the way it's, you know, the way it's currently run, whether you can improve uh, just the quality of the management. So I, I got a really good understanding of valuations of caravan parks, as well as over the years, my. Uh, my beloved bank insisting on having valuations done from time <laughs> to time. <laughs> yeah. My knowledge of park valuations increased, let's say that. So, yeah, so when when uh, it came at the time when actually somebody knocked on my door to want to buy it, I, I had a really good understanding of what I thought was the right value for us to exit. Mm. And, and that's when it came out. Now, if I could sort of share with you, I mentioned earlier about the meat industry and it wasn't a sexy industry um, uh, back in the day when shops were closing 
uh, yeah, the old-fashioned British shoppers in Europe was closing down and, and supermarkets sort of, sort of dominating. Uh, this was a different industry. This was an industry that was highly desirable. Mm. There was large corporates, um, investment funds, uh, a, a number of, uh, of people, not so much families as such, although there were, there were many families involved as well, the number of people, uh, organisations, corporates that had funds investment funds, superannuation funds that were looking at investments like parks mm. to um, to purchase. Now, it was very desirable, but I just want to add to you, I probably would get two to three potential buyers knocking on my door directly, requesting and asking if my business was going to be for sale. Wow. And I kept sort of shooing them away. Very different to my butcher shop experience yeah. where – where it was, uh, it was, it was an industry. I wouldn't say in decline, but the the, the, the industry was in a, in a negative patch, definitely. Um, but the the, the uh, tourism industry, the holiday park industry, was flourishing and still is today. It's still one of the strongest investment categories uh, there is, and I'm not providing any investment advice mm, at all here, mm, but mm. I only myself as a as a first hand owner of that business, I found it extremely, um, yeah. Mm, mm. Okay. All right. Great. Well, look, thank you so much for all of those insights, Martin. And we'll have you back for another podcast where we'll specifically talk about franchise as a business model, as a type of exit strategy, as it were, for businesses and what it's like to buy a franchise. So we'll talk about the franchisor perspective and the franchisee perspective. But I guess just in summary, perhaps to summarise some of the things that we have talked about today, you know, I'm, I'm feeling that some of the action tips that you might suggest, and feel free to throw in here if you um, think of any more, Martin, is firstly, right at the time of choosing a business and a business model, start with the end in mind. So pick a business that's desirable, that has a large pool of buyers to make it more saleable. So it sounds like this was the fundamental difference in many ways between the holiday park business where you had people knocking on your door versus the meat business where you were struggling for ideas as to who a potential buyer might be. Yeah. So throw in anything else if, if you had anything else there no. to say. Well, I think you're right. Yeah, you know, you're right. It, that's really important to have the end in mind. One of the other important things to have going your way, no matter what industry you choose, is to really enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, enjoy without it. without enjoying that's it, a good one. It, the chance of success actually is removed. Uh, I've always found people that enjoy what they do, and myself included, uh, is an important ingredient for success. In fact, you know, uh, not often to think about the definition of success is really doing what you enjoy. Mm. And I know you say that owning a holiday park is not necessarily living the dream that many people might suspect, but gosh, that's a beautiful location to be living and working though, isn't it, Jeroa? So <laughs> I guess there's... there's you couldn't find a better That's spot. it, that's it. <laughs> and I guess I just want to pick... It ticked a lot of boxes. I, I can understand that. I can understand that. It's um, an absolute picturesque area. So, And I guess two other things that you touched on that I really think are important to um, highlight as well is your point about getting educated about the value of your business, which is something that um, many guests on this podcast talk about, but I just think it's really important. 
important to highlight here because clearly this appeared to be one difference between your two sale uh, processes, your education about the value and your understanding of the process of the sale made you a much more sophisticated seller, I would guess, and, and therefore opened up more doors. And then the last element that I wanted to highlight that you spoke about is back to this concept of brainstorming the potential pool of buyers and, you know, being really forthright in approaching them. Now, many people who are business owners don't feel comfortable in doing this process themselves in terms of the sales process of their own business. And indeed, you know, in many times it might um, they really aren't the best people who should be making contact. But it's important, I, I guess, to at least consider this as a process and to engage advisors to assist with the brainstorming and the the communication strategies, whether it's a broker, an accountant or other advisor. Is there anything else that you wanted to throw in there, Martin? Well, I think you've summed up pretty well. I think getting advisors is important. And, and it, quite often I have seen it uh, happen where people are reluctant to get advice because yeah, it does cost money at times. Uh, but you can start with just using the people around you, people that you know, it's a very close friend or family member that have had business experience. Uh, it's, it's really important. I, I often do think and I, I of a particular quote, and I think it might have been a, a Newton quote, you know, like if, I, if I've seen further than others, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Mm. And I think that shouldn't be underestimated. There's people around you that actually have knowledge. So tap into that and also tap into independent advisors like your accountant, your lawyer, and a business advisor, business broker as well to understand where what your position is with your business. Is it the right time? Is it not the right time? And one thing that, uh, one of many things, but one thing that we actually advise on because uh, our firm is, a, is, a, is a, a, a consultative firm as well, is that we actually help people prepare for a successful sale. So we might actually start a, a program with it. It might be a year to two years out from actually selling. So understanding what the triggers are to provide you as a business owner the best possible sale price, what are those triggers, what are those values, what, what are those components of your business that you actually improve to then help improve your final sale price mm. that you want to achieve. So that, that is important. Get advice. Talk to people around you. Your support network. Get your free advice first. Uh, but particularly, uh, don't be afraid uh, to spend a couple of bucks on really good professional advice because it does save you in the long term. Yeah. And look, Martin, if people want to speak to you more about some of these programs that you say that you run, how can they do that? How can they find you? So, look, you can contact me via our website, so www.amplifiedbusiness.com.au. We also are on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. But, yeah, you're welcome to call me direct on our uh, main line, one three hundred two six seven two eight seven. That's amplifiedbusiness.com.au. And we'll put all of that, and just to confirm, that's amplify, F-Y, amplifybusiness.com.au. Uh, and we'll put a, a link to all of these in the, our show notes. So if you are driving along, please don't run into the car in front of you trying to jot this down. <laughs> we'll, you'll find it uh, in our show notes so you can click through afterwards. Martin, thank you so much for coming along today. We've had a great chat today, and I think you've given us some really good insights. I really enjoy hearing insights from the coalface of people 
people who have been involved in buying and selling businesses. And I, I think this is today has shown that there's some great information that can come out of hearing about people's experiences as they have been building businesses and selling them. And if you want to hear more from Martin, look at our future episodes where we specifically talk about his next move which was into franchising. And we specifically there talking about franchising, both from a franchisor and a franchisee perspective, and also looking specifically at what it means and the issues that are involved in buying a franchise. Well, thanks for listening in to this episode with Martin Lasodo in relation to ideas for selling a niche business. If you'd like more information about this topic, head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more details. And there and in the show notes, you'll find details of how to contact Martin if you'd like to discuss his services for businesses in this area. There you'll also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a great number of services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition and to help guide businesses through the sales and acquisitions process. And look, we work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. So don't hesitate to book an appointment if you want to find out how we might be able to assist. Thanks again for listening in. You have been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room podcast brought to you by the commercial legal practice Aspect Legal. See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.